Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the last episode of the Future Ear Radio podcast for the year. This is part two of the two-part compilation end-of-the-year episode. Last week's featured guests from uh, the worlds of hearables and voice technology. This one focuses entirely on hearing health, uh, my industry. So I hope that you enjoy these conversations. And like I said last episode... Thank you to everybody who tuned in this year, who supported Future Ear in my blog and everything um, as much as you did. Uh, Your support really means a lot to me, and it's the encouragement to keep going. So I can't wait to share with you a lot of the things that I have planned for 2021. I have some awesome content that I'm um, in the process of kind of developing right now. So uh, really looking forward to that and really looking forward to engaging with the audience again next year. So enjoy this uh, second part here, the last episode of Future Ear Radio in 2020. All right. So we have Deanne Rudden here. Deanne was on the podcast on episode 27 with Brian Urban back in April, kind of right at the onset of the pandemic. And we were talking about um, telehealth and how it you know can be implemented from this hearing professional standpoint. Um, so as an audiologist, it was awesome to hear your feedback on that. And uh, clearly, I think going to be a trend that will, um, you know, be with us well beyond the pandemic. I think telehealth is here to stay. But wanted to bring you on just like I've brought everybody else here on this, uh, this episode to get a sense of what are you excited about as it, you know, relates to 2021, you know, as we head into the new year, in your world, um, what, what are the things that are top of mind for you that you're excited about as we go into next year? Well, I don't know about you, but I can't help but have kind of this Phoenix rising energy. It just <laughs> kind of feels like that's gotta be a part of this next, uh, I agree. set of time. Um, you know, I think in some ways that's always healthy. It's like, you have to burn down ways of being and ways of thinking to kind of push you to create something new and to, to transform mm-hmm. yourself. Um, so I always love that energy at the end of the year, regardless, um, to like setting the intention for what I want 2021 or whatever new year things to be. But, um, you know, I think for me, what's been really interesting and what I'm kind of looking forward to obviously is um, I'm sure like everybody else in-person connection. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is great to, to be able to have still had a, a mechanism to continue to be connected with people, but man, like I'm one of those people that I love in person, like, same. you know, I would have done terrible at, you know, like online university, like that would not have been my jam. <laughs> I, I need that. Like, people connection and accountability from, from others. Um, and to show up, like to have to like get off my butt and show up. So, (laughs) um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see who, you know, like who's been kind of laying low and has been working on like transforming. Um, 
you know, especially when I think about like voices in the industry and, and it's been interesting to see how this year has given people confidence to put themselves out there because there was no other thing to do. Like you yep. had to put, like make an effort to put yourself out there. You couldn't just hope that somebody, you know, noticed you um, sitting at the soda counter kind of thing. Um, yeah. So there've been a lot of new voices that I feel like have, has come on to the scene and been willing to share their expertise and vision. So I'm really excited to talk to those folks. I, I, I totally agree with you. I've noticed, um, and I think you're right. I think that the pandemic probably was sort of like the uh, trigger for a lot of people to recognize that maybe that this was something that they'd been thinking about. Um, but I've now noticed there are more people in the industry that are taking it upon themselves to launch podcasts, YouTube channels, um, you name it. It just seems like we went from having a small handful to now, I think, tens, uh, in, you know, 20, 30, 40 people that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and a lot of them started this year. So I totally agree. I think it's really cool that um, you have this new wave of people that are lending their expertise and the things that they know a whole lot about. Um, and it, I think just does the community, community, uh, uh, justice because it, you know, the more exposure in a lot of these really popular online channels, the better, you know, if there are a number of popular YouTube channels that is promoting best practices and, um, really starting to highlight the value of why you should see, you know, a hearing professional, as opposed to trying to do it yourself and just, making people aware of what it, what exactly it is that this profession does and, and where, you know, why they're so valuable for the millions of people that have hearing loss. So I totally agree that that's cool that you mentioned that because it is something that I've recognized that there's been a ton of new people that it seems like are now creating all this awesome new stuff. And uh, I I'm all, I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think, you know, audiologists, um, and, and I'm going to speak very globally about this. Um, you know, we tend to want to highlight the people that we're serving rather than ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. we, I don't know, it, it, it seems kind of, there's a humbleness to what we do. Um, and I'm really glad being willing to say like, Hey, like, Hey world, like, <laughs> look at what we do. Like, check yeah. us out. We've, we've got this going on and we're here certainly to serve, but also to bring an element that I think we've been shy to, to put out there. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, from again, that Phoenix energy from the, from the ashes of what felt like, oh my God, like we're, we're going to lose the profession, you know, things are shut down to like, Hey, we're resilient. And we actually do have the capacity to reach probably a greater number of people than we even imagined this yeah. time last year, if we'd have had this conversation. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about your podcast too. And I think that uh, what's cool is I know that you've probably felt this too, is that the great thing about a podcast is just uh, serves as a great way to meet so many different people and, um, help to span these chasms and, you know, understand like who is super knowledgeable about what and cross pollinating ideas that way. And, uh, 
I really do think there's been a big element of that this year. I, I feel like more than ever, I've noticed that the um, the industry and all the different facets within it are really, really communicating in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I think that's really positive is that um, it seems like we're all on the same page, more or less, uh, protect, particularly the professionals um, with a lot of this stuff. And I think that's going to be really important moving forward as well. And I mean, we've, we've now, I mean, I feel like in this year, I've been able to make connections with, you know, people in Australia, people in New Zealand, people in England that are doing just like incredible work. Um, So yeah, the, it's nice that this time kind of forced us Mm -hmm. to look, to think bigger and to look further out for, for people to make connections with, you know, the other thing that I think, um, I'm hopeful for is, you know, anytime you get knocked down a little bit, like my hope always is that, you know, you, you come back stronger, but also maybe as a catalyst to fight a little bit harder for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like I, this time last year, I remember feeling so energized from my time on Capitol Hill with ADA and what that meant to me to fight for my profession. Um, And, you know, and then it's like, fast forward a couple of months, I felt like I'd been knocked right on my, (laughs) I don't know if I can say that word out loud, but, um, (laughs) but knocked down. Um, And, you know, you start to to get back up again. And, and it's like, whoa, you know, I hope that this time of being knocked down and knocked around a little bit has made us more willing to fight for ourselves yeah, um, and to stand up and to use our voices in a way that perhaps we always felt like, oh, someone else will do that. Someone mm-hmm. else will stand up and, and it'll all be okay. Um, maybe now people are willing to say, hey, well, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, wait a minute and, and get out there and, and, and have a more um, collective voice. Yeah, no, I, I love that. The Phoenix rising. That's what I got from you is that, uh, you know, it's definitely feeling like things got bad this year, but I think that it put a lot of things in perspective for people. And, um, you know, a lot of like what you just said there, this idea that, there's a lot of value that this profession brings. And I think that this, you know, idea that maybe you got to take the ownership and really put it upon yourself to, you know, like whether it is you're going to, you know, your contribution is going to be, you're going to go to Capitol Hill and you're going to help to lobby for things that are, you know, positive for the industry, or you're going to launch a YouTube channel where you're going to try to make the general public a little bit more aware of, you know, why they should maybe go see a hearing professional and the various reasons why a hearing professional is so valuable to the hearing loss community. So I loved all that. I think that was really, really good stuff. And don't count out private practice. I'm telling you, like I, we rumble with change every day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I think sometimes people feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the end of the death of private practice. Um, on the contrary, I would say, be very careful because um, we are, we're, we've been, we've been plotting and planning for how <laughs> the next uh, set of circumstances are going to go. And I think we're going to come back stronger and better and more resilient than ever. Perfectly said. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Deanne, for coming on here. And I look forward to chatting again here in 2021.
Thanks so much, Dave. And I appreciate your voice out there too. You bring on some really amazing people that I've gotten to to hear. And, and I appreciate that from you. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So we got Kat Pennell here on the podcast. Kat did a couple episodes with me this year. We had great conversations on episodes uh, 47 and 38, a couple talks with Andy Bellavia, like a little round table um, where we really looked at kind of like the emerging technology that's occurring in the industry. And I've always appreciated your perspective because you know, you're obviously an audiologist, but you have this really digitally uh, oriented mindset, you know, with the Hearing Collective and this idea of there's a lot of different online services that exist and just different ways that you can be more accessible to patients um, in an online setting, maybe with some new technology. So it's kind of fit right into the future ear wheelhouse. And, and therefore, I've, I've always really enjoyed our conversation. So I wanted to get your take on, you know, the things that you're looking forward to as we head into 2021. So let's kick it off. I don't, you won't hear it here first. I'm sure you've heard it all year round, but I think 2021 is going to be the year of the hearable. So um, a lot of factors play into that. First of all, an increase in ear-worn devices, um, an increase in audio content consumption, increased in improved Bluetooth connectivity. So anything that's got uh, the ability to have Bluetooth, we're going to connect our ear-worn devices to it. Um, and as a result of that, I'm hoping for an increase in hearing and hearing loss awareness um, um, and potentially a re reduction in stigma. Um, the way I envision this, um, and I've described it a few times now, is that I see it as a spectrum. So people will come and they'll start their hearing journey with perhaps hearables. And then as they notice their hearing changing over time, I hope to see a continuum where they go from hearables to hearing aids um, or implantable devices, depending on the severity. As part of this, the overarching banner that I see um, sitting on top of the hearable or hearing technology space is client-centered care. And what I'm really excited about in this case is is, is probably more from a consumer point of view rather than the hearing healthcare professional point of view. Um, and so let me explain that a little bit. What I, what I think of and envision when I think of client-centered care is that the control, the locus of control and management goes back to the client. So me as a, an end user with uh, this, these hearables, I'll be able to manage everything um, in an ecosystem in the palm of my hand or via a wearable smartwatch to my ear voice ear-worn devices. So these pieces of technology will be able to gather my personalized my data, my individual personalized data, be able to give me some recommendations of where to go. In, uh, for example, if your hearing is deteriorating, perhaps, you know, this is a red flag to go see a professional to manage it. Um, so that's what I think of when I think of the year of the hearable. Um, it's, it's the gateway to hearing health and um, improving your connections with uh, your loved ones to one to, to the greater extent. And so we're professionally, so I've sort of split into three categories, the year of the hearable professionally and um, healthcare in general, mm -hmm. professionally with hearing collective. What I'm excited about is expanding um, hearing healthcare services, uh, perhaps bringing on a few more experts into the field. I'm still figuring out, how to apply audiology in a very modernized and, and relevant sense to the client. So I'm trying to figure out what, what does an audiologist look like in the year of 2021 and how can we apply that to our clients and walk alongside them to improve their hearing journey. Um, 
And lastly, when I think of 2021, I really envision a less siloed profession. Um, What I mean by that is I am envisioning more co-locations of professionals. So we might go and co-locate in an office with um, a psychologist or a GP or a speech pathologist where we can immediately have that multidisciplinary team of client-centered care rather than, oh, I'll just shoot an email to this professional or that professional and chat to them on the phone. So I see a lot more co-locations happening. Um, I, I also sort of envision the retail aspect from the consumer electronic end having a big part. And I, I do foresee professionals being able to consult and upskill. I, I think as the healthcare profession changes, so does the retail aspect. And in Australia, we've got stores like JB Hi-Fi, which I think in America might be the equivalent to Best Buy's. Uh, I'm not really versed on the big electronic stores yeah. there, but no, that's, that's I right. think, cool. I see that the retail aspect is, is still going to be quite prevalent in hearing healthcare as a blend of hearing technology exists. And as part of that, I think there's a role for audiologists to upskill and educate retail assistants to understand products better rather than just saying oh yeah I like these headphones because they're comfortable over my ear or in the ear so there's that opportunity there and an opportunity for audiologists so that the client understands that we're there to provide them with expert knowledge on on the ear and the brain to a certain extent and and how that can improve their quality of life yeah so I hope that sort of summarizes um and you can hear my excitement in the tone in my tone for the year of the hearable. Um, I mean, there's so many things going on in this space, but I really do think that hearing, hearing care, hearing health will be really pivotal in, in regards to an ecosystem. I'm not sure how that would look. And I think you would agree with me on this and I'd be interested to hear your insights, but Apple, for example, that they're, they've been really smart with um, having the wearable watch with the sound level meter built into it their AirPod Pros and all their um, hearing accommodations that they're putting into it, bringing their third-party apps to monitor hearing and then having uh, the health data center on their on their phones as well. So they're sort of building that ecosystem and I see more of that. I can envision more of that happening in, in this space with other uh, tech companies coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest question marks or, you know, it's going to be really interesting to watch this unfold because, you know, on one hand, you have the big box retailers that are not like a Costco where, you know, Costco is, um, you know, they're obviously very uh, immersed in the this channel and they've very clearly carved out a niche for themselves selling hearing aids. But I look at a company like Best Buy and I wonder, you know, what what does their offering eventually look like? Because clearly one of the ways that they need to differentiate away from, say, Amazon is the in-store experience. And I've always thought that, um, like, not necessarily hearing aids, but I think um, something more like Nuhera would be a really interesting in that type of product category where there is a little bit more of a sophistication. I mean, yes, it can be just directly out of the box, but um, you know, like what, is it just going to be a a Best Buy representative or is there more of a um, you know, is it an opportunity for um, you know, the, the world of audiology to make inroads with companies like a Best Buy so that um, 
there's, you know, their staff is trained on this in a more well-versed manner. You could say the same thing with Apple. I don't know if, I don't know ultimately what Apple's plans are. I don't know if they're looking to get into the hearing health market in a serious way, or if it's more or less enabling the consumer products like AirPods to have a semblance of hearing technology embedded inside of it. And that more or less leads to being kind of like a gateway to more sophisticated solutions. So I don't know what these major retailers are. I think that they have their own incentives for why they wouldn't necessarily want to get into full-blown hearing aid sales, but I could see there being more of an emphasis on, you know, especially as we're seeing wearables as a broad category, like a whoop or the aura ring, how these things are becoming more popular. This idea of having a real granular look at your data set, your physiology, I can see it kind of translating over to, you know, if there's tons of different types of earbuds out there, you know, maybe some of the the on-floor experience that you have with that rep inside of Best Buy or the Apple store um, goes beyond just here's the product, here you go, and you're on your way. I mean, they'll probably need to speak intelligently to these. And my question is like, what does that experience look like? And is there an opportunity for the, you know, the world of hearing health and the professionals that reside inside of it to, um, to kind of be a liaison and look at this as like, you know, these people are probably going to go into this channel one way or another. And you have the opportunity to, you know, kind of like help to lead people to the fact that you can start here and then down the line, maybe it makes sense to come see a professional. So for me, I think that's going to be one of the biggest question marks over the next few years is as these major retailers and manufacturers, um, become a little bit, you know, kind of like are wading deeper and deeper into these waters, ultimately, what does that do to this industry? And what's the impact that we as an industry can have to help shape that whole narrative? Totally. Uh, just listening to you describe, um, I suppose, the potential that could occur in these markets makes me super excited. And I think I should also add that um, as a professional who likes to try things out, I think that uh, companies like Apple or New Hera and New Hera with their new partnership with HP, mm-hmm. um, I think these guys are already ahead of the game with what they want to do. And again, I'm not 100% sure where they want to go. I've got an idea that they want to improve the user experience with the technology and some of the software that goes into it. But then what? So I definitely agree uh, the retail aspect and the user experience there and the customer experience there is going to look really different for all brands. And I definitely think there's opportunities um, for hearing aid companies to, I suppose, capitalize upon that and um, think about co doing a collab or a co-locate with these tech companies so that you can share the information, the data you've got, because at the end of the day, if we can maximize the data and the user experience for our clients, everybody wins um, because there'll be somebody to some extent. And then there's an opportunity for the the audiologist, the the hearing healthcare professional to come in and educate and upskill and guide the the client along their journey um, for life pretty much. It's not just hear your hearing aids, hear your really measurements, see you another six right. months or 12 months uh, with the data that we can start to collect and analyze. Uh, we can have uh, better input over time. So yeah, look, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to see, seeing how the hearing healthcare landscape uh, evolves over the next five to seven years. I think um, if we're, we're happy to try new things out and um, 
even market ourselves to these big brands and say, hey, I know where I can add my value, then I think we're, we're going to do really well as professional uh, in the long run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I want to do an episode next year where we really break down this concept that you've laid out to me before. I don't think we've ever like fully fleshed it out about this idea of um, like data health coaches and how that concept applies to hearing health professionals. Because the more I think about that, the more I'm really starting to buy into this idea. Um, and it would make sense too. It ties into the whole narrative of, you know, these are your patients for life. And what does that relationship look like? You know, it's not something that's just transactional. I fit you with a hearing aid and I fit you to the real ear measurements. I mean, that's good. That's important. But I think that in terms of where your real value, I think will lie across the future is going to be in the, the, the true, like, this is a journey. This is a lifelong thing. And we're going to guide you. And that might mean that it's going to be through different types of solutions along the way, different devices, um, and the evolution of these devices and keeping them abreast with all of the different functionality. I mean, we are really at the just surface level of what I think these wearable devices are going to be capable of. And so I think that it's, there's going to be a tremendous opportunity for all types of medical professionals to be a guide as to what that type of device is capturing and the data sets that are being created that I'm not sure if just like the patient will be able to really interpret in a meaningful way. Um, maybe that will be part of the big opportunity for professionals is to help to really break down what's going on, what they're looking at. And so I think that would make for an awesome op uh, episode for you and I to do uh, in 2021. Totally. And on that front, also one on service deliveries and how that's changing in our landscape, but the, the greater healthcare landscape as well. I think uh, there's some really interesting things uh, happening. Uh, be, yeah, it would be awesome to get uh, a, sec a third and fourth guest on to discuss their points of views in this area as well. Love it. Definitely got to do it. Well, Kat, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for being on the podcast. I look forward to continuing our conversations in 2021. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a good Christmas break and I look forward to 2021 with you. Cheers. Okay, cool. So we got Nick Reed here. Nick, you were on episode 42 back in August. We had an awesome conversation talking about some of the great work that you all are doing at Johns Hopkins, you know, in the epidemiology department under Frank Lynn. Uh, the ACHIEVE trial, I continue to think, is one of the most important areas of research as it pertains to um, really the hearing healthcare industry in general. So definitely go take a listen to that if, if you're at all interested in this is piquing your interest, but wanted to bring you on, Nick, uh, as we approach 2021 and just get a sense from you, what are the things that you're excited about heading into next year? Um, what are some things that, you know, we should kind of keep an eye on and, and uh, as it relates to being on your radar? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me back on. Um, August feels like a lifetime ago uh, in <laughs> yeah. this pandemic world. Um, I guess going into 2021, for me, um, what I'm personally most excited about actually is uh, the potential for the FDA to release the over-the-counter hearing aid regulations. I think that that is such a first step game changer that puts a lot of pressure on the entire marketplace to start changing delivery models, um, start perhaps changing uh, aspects of cost and and really how we actually um, 
define those costs, whether it's bundled models or unbundled models. I think I think it's just sort of a, a real shakeup. And I think the, I personally believe the hearing industry has already been shooken up just by the prospect of it. I'm just, I'm just of the ilk that once it becomes reality, we might see even more start to change. And I think that's very exciting for, for audiology. I think it, um, I think it also adds a lot of awareness to audiology when uh, the FDA makes this big shakeup and then perhaps new companies enter the market. So I think that's tops for me. Um, I'm also cautiously optimistic about the idea of Medicare uh, making real inroads into hearing coverage. And I know that there's no real reason for me to be optimistic necessarily, but there's been a lot of bills lately um, that have been out there. Our team has built out part of our website to build fact sheets and policy sheets uh, and have started actively engaging um, various stakeholders in Congress to think about this. And I also just think that we're starting to reach perhaps a peak. I always thought that that peak would come after the achieved trial was over. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like so many people have an interest in hearing, hearing care and the research that's come out lately and sort of the explosion of sort of public health hearing research because, you know, our team does it. But the truth is all over the world, I think you're seeing more and more of it. And I think you're seeing stronger interests globally in funding hearing research. And you can look to the NIDCD here. You can look to um, the recent announcement uh, in Australia that was led by the NOW group, I believe, where uh, they've got the government to commit to something like $30 million Australian for hearing research. And I, I think that that adds like a snowball effect. And we might see, particularly in a uh, more liberal controlled Congress, a liberal White House, I don't know what's going to happen with the Senate, but you may see actual expansion of Medicare and all signs would point to hearing being included in that. Um, I, I like to point back to uh, what seems again like a lifetime ago, but is only, uh, I think, six months or so ago uh, <laughs> when during the Democratic primaries, they were debating Medicare expansion yeah. and you heard hearing being included in the expansion. And that is... I think that's a really, really important sign that we're seeing on the biggest stage hearing being a part of the conversation of yeah. the expansion. So I don't know. I'm super excited about seeing what's to come in 2021. I think um, I think there's a potential for another major sort of uh, earth shattering event for audiology. I don't mean earth shattering in a negative way. I know that's got yeah. a negative connotation. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that... Um there are a lot of signs pointing to that. And I, I think it's interesting, like the kind of the theme of all three of those things is just more accessibility to devices and, and access to hearing solutions, which ultimately I think is a big net positive. I think the more people that are exposed to the types of solutions that exist, and I think it's really important to point out how good um, some of these you know, emerging solutions are that maybe are non-traditional uh, devices or, you know, they, they're coming from these um, non-traditional players in the space. Uh, I think that competition's a really healthy thing. And, and the more options that I think people have, the better. And, and also the other thing that the more options 
whole equation does is I think it puts more demand on the professional because I think that as the market gets saturated with options, that increases the demand for somebody to help navigate those options. Um, so that's what gets me really excited about this idea that a whole lot more people are going to kind of like join into this uh, funnel. And I think they're going to be presented with uh, a whole host of new options. Um, so I think that those two things in tandem are really, really exciting. The more people that, you know, kind of like start to partake in treating their hearing loss, obviously the better. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think it's just a time where, you know, it's, it's interesting for hearing care, right? We've, and, and for, for people like you who are content creators in this area where we've been talking about OTC now for three years, the bill passed three years ago, literally three years ago. But we are now at a point where we might actually see the effect of the bill because, you know, I mean, it's pretty crazy when you actually stop and think about it. Just the prospect of over-the-counter hearing care has already transformed the face of audiology, right? I mean, how many, uh, if you think back to 10 years ago or or even just like five years ago, you did not see the same content at the major conferences. And now every single conference is, uh, has a whole section of how do you unbundle? How do you market yourself? How do you think about OTC? How does that affect your business practice? You know, we're just seeing sort of a total transformation and I'm sure that people will always sort of be against it. And I, I also will always point out to people, you know, there will always be room for multiple models of care. You know, there will, you, you want to do your, you want to, you know, continue down the traditional bundled route. I actually think there are more than enough people out there who want that. They want to just pay something and hands off for the rest of it. 100%. But I, I'm excited to see really what happens once we have a real defined area for OTC. I'm also, on a personal level, I'm also just curious at what's sort of taking so long. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have speculated what it's going to look like. And now I'm starting to wonder if we're all going to get sort of a major curveball and if there's going to be something in there that we just weren't expecting as a field. And um, that has really piqued my curiosity lately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, I'll say um, as it relates to you is uh, I've, I've talked about this before, but you know, going off of what you just said about, you know, the different type of content that's been in the industry really of the last 10 years or so, um, a big focus on different delivery models and, you know, business models and what have you. But the other thing is just the prominence that hearing health is starting to take, I think, in more mainstream publications. And I would say a lot of that is a testament to a lot of the research that folks like you guys have been doing where, it's now being well understood that there's, it's way, way more severe and, and daunting than just the fact that you have this broad swath of people that might be, you know, declining in the, their ability to hear the world. I mean, there's obviously all these comorbidities that are linked to it. And uh, I think that that's ultimately been a big reason why there's now, I think, a lot more attention to the need to treat at scale hearing loss and avoid all of the, you know, just downstream uh, problems that I think we would have if, if this just goes unchecked. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a piece that I have sort of internally been talking about with our team for a while is 
and and you know for your listeners if someone else is in research and they want to do this by all means please do it because <laughs> uh i actually think an interesting piece would be to look at just within the literature the the research literature how many papers on a, a hearing topic either as the exposure or the outcome even have moved outside of the traditional audiology literature. And mm -hmm. so what I mean is let's let's actually like tally up the gerontology, internal medicine, general public health, number of hearing loss papers over the past 10 years. And I think you would see a exponential growth curve of papers just exploding in outside of the traditional hearing literature. And that's not to For say sure. that like the traditional hearing literature is bad or anything like that. I think it's just like amazing that we, you know, we've reached a new audience, more people yeah. care than ever. I know. I think that would be a fascinating study because there's actually, I think there's two sides of it. I think there's like the academic side that you're seeing the cross pollination that you may, you know, you just mentioned there, but you know, even on the technology side, I can attest 100% that I have seen more articles in the last two years talking about hearing aids and kind of marveling at the, just the kind of like the modern wonder that they are being able to cram the level of technology more or less into such a small device. Um, I think that there's been a major shift over the last few years where it was something that it was just kind of, you know, this thing that was over in the corner and nobody really talked about. Now with the emergence of wearables and, you know, consumer wearables and what have you, people I think are starting to recognize that this is actually like the most sophisticated of them all. And I've just totally noticed a totally new shift in the way that people talk about the technology. And I would imagine that it's the same for a lot of the you know, the actual science that goes behind it um, around the, the medicine and, and everything that you mentioned there, because it's, it is, it's something that it's kind of reaching the broader psyche, I think, and, and that's new, in my opinion. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like, um, a few years ago, the first time they did it, what always strikes me, and I'm sure you've read these pieces, because they've updated it at least two or three times by now, but when wire cutter started mm -hmm. doing uh, hearing devices. Yeah. And, you know, wire cutter is basically like a um, consumer reports, except, I don't know, more savvy mm -hmm. and uh, trending towards a different audience slightly. Um, they also do a lot of like hands-on stuff that they report on. And when, I, you know, when you see wire cutter covering hearing devices, it really changes the attitude from like hearing being, hearing like loss and hearing aids being this like, stuffy, mm -hmm. I don't know, like uh, somewhere banana. in the medical field, st stigma related thing to, yep. this is just something that is part of everyday life and yeah. it can be targeted towards audiences of almost any age. Uh, it, I don't know, it really sort of is, um, it really speaks to the way we view it and, uh, and the way, the way the public media, the popular media even covers it now. So I think yeah. you're absolutely right. It's, it's a real change and it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see the growth. I think it's exciting to see what's going to happen next. Cause yeah, you know, we're all sitting here so excited and um, we've seen so many changes, but let's totally be honest. If we get outside of our uh, small net, relatively small <laughs> networks, yeah. And you start talking to people, like you talk to your neighbors that don't know anything about hearing and don't mm. do anything in this area, don't care. 
they're like, what are you talking about? There's still, <laughs> there's still right. this massively open area for us to expand into and yep. um, start to see things. So, yeah. And I think that that can actually be viewed as a really positive opportunity is that there is a gigantic opportunity that's still sitting out there that, you know, all of these folks that are interested in trying to capitalize on it in some way, shape or form. Um, I think that opportunity exists. So I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the, this kind of new broader awareness of what exists and what's possible uh, in combination to some of the different accessibility um, improvements that I think are going to happen in, uh, over the next year or so are definitely really exciting. So Nick, thanks so much for coming on, joining me this year on the podcast. Definitely need to get you back on in 2021 to catch up and uh, just continue the conversation. Okay. So we got Jeff Cooling here. Jeff was on the sixth episode, actually one of my all-time favorite episodes, a, tsun- a tsunami of change heading toward hearing healthcare. Uh, you were also on the conversation that I had with Giles Tongue of Chattable Apps. So you've been on twice. Um, you know, you're one of the uh, contributing editors at Hearing Aid No, so one of the big publications in the industry. Um, but I just think that you're, you know, very, very well versed in hearing technology, uh, hearing healthcare as a whole. Always really appreciate your perspective and your opinion. So wanted to make sure I got yours. So as we head into 2021, Jeff, what are the things that stand out to you that you're looking forward to, the things that are kind of like on your radar heading into next year? Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on again. Um, so I think for me in, in uh, 2021, first of all, I think I'm just glad to see the end of 2020. I think many of us will be. Um, <laughs> the the and when it comes to the the industry and um, I suppose the technology, I think the big thing that I'm looking forward to in 2021 is um, Bluetooth LE audio, the arrival mm. of that in a more widespread manner. And uh, I'm really interested in seeing what you know the hearing aid manufacturers do with Bluetooth LE audio. But on top of that, I'm, I'm actually fascinated with what outside manufacturers, outside the industry, or associated manufacturers within our with our industry, what they might do. Um, I recently did a review on a device called a sound selector. It's a remote microphone made by a company called uh, Nuance Hearing. They're an Israeli company, and they worked actually with Starkey to produced the Starkey table mic that was introduced for the uh, oh, the Livio Edge. And, um, you know, these guys know an awful lot about signal processing. They know an awful lot about microphones. So they've designed this device, and, and I really liked it. It was, an, I, I suppose, an ideal device for somebody with a milder hearing loss who wants a situational device. So they've aimed a kind of at the uh, the education sector, but I think it'd be an ideal tool for consumers. Now you use it at the moment with a set of headphones, um, and it's pretty cheap. I think it works out like it's no more than three hundred dollars in any way. Uh, and I, I I think that you know that device coupled with Bluetooth LE audio would really be a ground shaker um, because it works exceptionally well. I was really 
really impressed with how well it worked. And uh, Bluetooth LE audio added to it would allow it to do that and stream its audio to any hearing it that was uh, equipped with Bluetooth LE audio. And I think that um, there's a lot of, I would say, possibilities delivered by that ability. And I, I'd imagine Nuance Hearing probably isn't the only people thinking about it or even thinking about how they may integrate, you know, who knows, marketing messages with mm-hmm. Bluetooth LE audio transmission or, you know, and that fascinates me. I think that's going to be really, really exciting over the next, with probably over the next couple of years, but we're going to see the start of it in the next year, I would imagine. So, uh yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And I think for consumers, I think it's just fantastic because, you know, can you imagine walking into a hearing aid user, walking into a museum somewhere and having the ability to simply pick up the museum audio as they move from exhibit to exhibit? Uh, Bluetooth LE audio transmission gives you that ability. It gives the ability for you know, countless devices to be connected to the one transmission in an easy, simplistic way. So, yeah, that, that kind of has me stoked. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, with, just going off of that point, you know, um, obviously this industry is really well acquainted with telecoils and telecoils are great, but the problem that telecoils have always run into is that you're only looking at a really small subset of potential users Granted, they're the users that need it the most, but, you know, it's designed for folks that more or less are wearing a T-coil enabled device, which tends to be a hearing aid. So with Bluetooth LE audio and this broadcast capability, you know, you can cater that to the masses. So that type of functionality that you're describing, that could appeal to the hundred million pairs of AirPods that are out there. And, and, oh, by the way, you know, folks with hearing aids that are operating on Bluetooth LE audio get to take advantage of that as well. So again, it's another one of these examples where these um, mainstream functionality and features that are built out on the incentive of the, you know, the consumers, more or less the mainstream users. Um, it's another example of how I think hearing aid wearers are going to get to really benefit uh, by reaping a lot of these byproducts that, you know, they're not necessarily designed specifically for them, but they're they're the subset of users that really advance uh, that that get the most, I think, out of those features. And and so I fully agree with you. I think that's what's so exciting about Bluetooth audio is that um, we're going to see a lot of amazing capabilities uh, that are built for everybody that has you know Bluetooth LE audio earbuds. That oh by the way you know the hearing aid wearers get to take advantage of. There's a lot of exciting things coming in that vein, I think. Yeah, and you know, you touched on a really good point there about it being, you know, Eddie Audio is uh, it's much wider, much more mainstream than just um, hearing aid users. And and you know what, you know, that's a really good thing because it's it's a normalization of something that hearing aid users use. Yes. Um. And, and, you know, there's, there's real psychological implications to that in that, you know, this is a normalization. It's a normal process. 100%. It makes, 
it make you know makes us just like them kind of thing, you know. And I think that you know that's really important. Like, um, unfortunately, we still live in an era where there seems to be some some stigma in relation to the use of hearing aids. People aren't adopting them, and uh, you know, of course, cash, finance, money does play a part in that, right? Yep. But we, we do know that, you know, uh, stigma, discretion, et cetera, et cetera, also play a part in that psychological part in, in the impediment, I suppose, to adoption of, of, of devices that will help. Like, um, and funnily enough, <laughs> that brings me to the second thing I'm really stoked yes. about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, we, uh, I've been doing a bit of work recently on uh, uh, kind of like understanding adoption rates and, and the length of time from awareness to action uh, with hearing loss. And while I was doing that, I was doing some research on consumers as well. And I had a bit of a light bulb moment and uh, while I was undertaking that research. And it made me think differently about how we communicate to consumers. And up to now, you know, we've even, even now, so our uh, consumer communication has changed over the last few years. And um, you know, we talk about instead of talking about features, we should be talking about solutions, solutions to problems, right? And you know, I would have been, yeah, 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 solutions to problems, because that's really, you, you know, you're kind of touching the consumer where they live when you talk about a solution to a problem, right? But but I was thinking about that, and I suppose at a higher level than just a solution to a problem, you know, what are consumers looking for? So what are older consumers looking for now? Our, our, our prospect consumers have changed dramatically. They want to stay healthy. They want to stay active. They want to stay fit for longer. And yeah. uh, in one of the papers I, I read, it, it said, you know, consumers basically, senior consumers, which, which they put at 50 plus, which actually made a lot of sense to me as well, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But they said that you know, senior senior consumers, what they want is to break the mold of getting old. And what they're particularly interested in is kind of like anti-aging. Yes. You know, so so within that concept of anti-aging, there's everything. There's you know, buying, buying a, a, a pedal bike and cycling 35 kilometers. There's going mm -hmm. back to playing squash. There's heat, eating healthy. There's there's lots of different things, right? Um, but it was that that kind of really struck me. And I thought to myself, well, listen, we know as an industry that hearing loss contributes to getting out or hearing loss contributes to at least the conceptual ideation around getting old. Yes. Somebody who has hearing loss, who hasn't treated their hearing loss, they they basically become the grumpy old men that we all remember, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> right? Or the grumpy right. old women, right? You know, so <laughs> social isolation, um, 
you know, social isolation leads to lots of different things and, and also has an effect on general health. But more than that, in the last 10 or 15 years, like we've got a huge amount of evidence and we're gathering even more in relation to untreated hearing loss and cognitive decline, right? And, and the correlation between them, the link between them. <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, these are the two big things that our modern uh, senior consumer is basically fighting against, right? They don't want to look old. They don't want to be old. They don't, they don't want all those problems, right? They understand that those are the issues as we age, but they want to stave them off as much as possible. And it just, it struck me like, just like that, one of those moments. Um, you know, Jesus, we, we <laughs> hearing aids are anti-aging devices. Yes, I love that. You know, and, and, and I thought about it, and I thought to myself, listen, I mean, let's not talk about solutions for old people. Because even if, even though we are talking about solutions to their problems, right, the, the, the terms of reference that the wider population see that as, as solutions for problems for old people, yeah. right? So I was thinking, let's talk about keeping them young. Yeah. You know, let's talk about keeping them young. And it's not it's not uh, hyperbole because, you know, we've a mountain uh, scientific, uh, a mounting weight of scientific evidence that in essence, hearing aids keep you young in that context, right? Um, yep. We know that they facilitate active, you know, and healthy social lives. We know that active, healthy social lives will indeed help with your general health moving forward. Um, we also believe that they at least retard cognitive decline to a more normalized level, right? So, um, so yeah, it really struck me. Like, So what we're gonna do is, well, what we've talked about myself and Steve, uh, the, guy who, the other guy who runs here right now, what we've talked about is changing how we communicate with our readers and I suppose how we pitch hearing aids or, or how we pitch the idea of hearing aids in an effort to basically test out this sentiment. You know, so um, we're, going to, we're really going to start talking about, you know, hearing aids as devices to keep you young, right? In that, we'll also use uh, imagery, I suppose, copy, uh, based around that concept and that idea. And basically, what we want to do is test it and and see what type of you know what type of results we get from it. What the what's the engagement from it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How much we can, or if it has an effect on people moving from a position of uh, awareness to action in a in a slightly short shorter manner like so yeah no i mean it's not the listen i don't for one minute think it's the panacea to the penetration rate the abysmal <laughs> right. penetration rate that we have right but but i think it it's it could be part of it and i think um you know reframing completely reframing what hearing aids are and that and that journey with hearing aids can only be a good thing. And, and I don't think we're not conning anybody. You know, this isn't, uh, it, 
as I said, you know, this isn't uh, hyperbole. You know, we're not conning anybody. There's nothing we we won't and never would use any dubious or spurious data to to support our arguments. Um, so yeah, we 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 only see that as a good thing. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. We're going to start kind of testing that over the next three to six months and, and hopefully be ready to talk about our results or how we feel about it. We did a, we did a brief post on uh, Facebook just with this concept that, that you know, hearing aids aren't about getting old. Hearing aids are all about staying young. And um, believe it or not, the uh, engagement we got with that post was pretty impressive. Like. And and we hadn't even really put much thought into it. It was it was shortly after I had the light bulb moment. I just said, "Listen, let's throw this up and see what happens. See what people think." Yeah, and, uh, I love this. I, I think it's so interesting. Like the first thing that comes to mind here is, um, you know, as you uh, one of the prescribed methods to ward off cognitive decline is to keep your mind really active, right? Do Sudoku's, do crossword puzzles. Um, in, in really the same vein, this is kind of what I think you're describing is that this is something that can help to preserve your youth um, and, and your cognitive functions for as long as possible. And I do think that just that subtle difference of this is for old people, as opposed to this can help you to preserve your, you know, it's a, it's almost like a pseudo fountain of youth in a way. Um, and you combine that with your first point around, you know, the whole notion that a lot of the mainstream functionality that's going to come on the back of LE audio and the combination of that being, you know, geared around this massive explosion in proliferation of devices like AirPods. So um, I think what you're kind of ultimately getting to is that we're entering into an era here very, very soon where you have uh, uh, the whole notion of a hearing aid is going to start to flip because it's going to be way, way more functional. It's going to be capable of all kinds of new functionality in tandem with the behavioral shift of, well, everybody else has things that they're wearing in their ears. And what does it matter if I prefer to listen to my podcasts in these kind of invisible devices, as opposed to the guy over there that's wearing AirPods. So you can't discredit the, the behavioral change that's going to happen. That's already underway right now. Again, a hundred million <coughs> pairs of AirPods have been sold. That is so large relative to how many hearing aids are sold annually. This market is gigantic. And I think it's going to just really shift the whole mentality of everything. And I love this idea of as an industry rallying around this new messaging that these devices aren't intended for you as you, you know, when you're old, these are devices that you, you age with and it helps to preserve, you know, all of that cognitive functionality and really uh, the, the youth that that's associated with. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, and, and you know, you're dead right about the AirPods and stuff. What's what's really happened is, you know, there's been a normalization or a or a more rapid normalization of ear level devices over the last few years, right? And and you know, trust Apple, the usual. But but Apple in, with their with their AirPods and their AirPods Pro have re, have really driven that. 
Yes. You know, um, so it's much more normal to have something in your ears or to walk by somebody with something in your in their ears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our experiences now are, are our experiences with something in our ears, electronic devices in our ears, it's become a much more normal experience. Whereas before, one of the things I used to say to my new patients was, this is going to feel a bit strange in your ear. You're not used to having anything in your ear. And, and that was the truth because they weren't, you know, they never yeah. for any length of time really wore anything in their ear. Uh, you know, older generation, the nearest they got to it more often than not was uh, a, a set of headphones, a headset. So, but yeah, with everything that's gone on, technical advancement within the last few years, Apple driving, you know, their AirPods, all of these things, it's really begun to kind of normalize ear level devices. And and again, I think that helps us move forward with this idea that, you know, uh, these devices are, are all about staying young. You know, um, anything that normalizes an ear level device has to be seen as a good thing for us, has to be seen as a good thing for consumers because uh, it's not strange. When they come to it or they come to have to use it, it's not strange. And I think that's part of the stigma around it is that it's strange. It makes me different, right? Yep. Um, And... uh, it no longer does. <laughs> right. You know, half the population is walking around with these funny white things hanging out of their ears. Like. Exactly. So, that, that, so that's yeah, it, it, a huge It no longer though. makes them, yeah, no longer makes it different. It no longer makes you stand out for the wrong reasons, you know, exactly. um, which, you know, I really don't understand. Uh, but then again, I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, I think these are brilliant insights uh, and I'm in full agreement with you. I think that this whole notion that you've laid out here is definitely something to keep an eye on. So thank you for coming on the podcast this year. I look forward to having you back on in 2021. No worries, Dave. Thanks again for for, uh, inviting me. Absolutely. All right. So we got Kim Cavett here. Kim was on episode 47 with Carl Strom. Um, Always appreciate Kim's perspective. That was a really good episode. Um, You know, having Kim's audiology perspective as an audiologist and then Carl as somebody that um, is a, you know, a a media person who has the hearing review and um, has covered the industry for a long time. So that was an excellent episode. Definitely encourage anybody to go back and listen to that one, but wanted to bring Kim on to get her perspective, you know, as we head into 2021, what are the things that stand out in your mind that you're excited about heading into next year? Well, I'm excited that I hopefully will finally get to see um, a FDA proposed rule on over-the-counter hearing aids. I'm really excited to finally see that. Excited to see what happens um, with the Biden administration and what potential inroads audiologists might be able to have in terms of the Medicare uh, Audiology Access and Services Act. You know, can can any provision of that move? What would have? What will happen with HR three, which was passed by the U.S. House in this Congress? 
which would be Medicare coverage for hearing aids. Will that have any movement in a new administration? Um, and honestly, to see what happens as more and more states start moving to these um, insurance mandate type provisions and we start seeing more and more third party um, coverage or benefits around hearing aids and, and the focus that kind of goes with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had Nick Reed on and he said the same thing around Medicare and, um, you know, with this new administration potentially um, expanding it into covering uh, hearing loss and, and covering, you know, the benefits associated with that. So how do you see that working? I mean, like in your mind, what does this look like if it does play out the way that you think it might? You know what? I know this is, I'm not, usually I am not one to punt a question, but really, <laughs> uh, it, there's so many caveats in the world of, you know, some of it would be first in some ways reflective of what the OTC regs look like because Medicare then might turn around and not cover anything for mild to moderate. And then they, because HR3 was, was uh, moderate, to severe, not moderate to profound, you just don't, know what that could look like um, until I think it's like a building block. What does OTC and then you would build a Medicare coverage in and around that. So I, I don't have a good crystal ball because I because this OTC has just been so punted for so long. Right. Uh, but but what I see I, I know that audiologists fear this to some degree. And I I come from not a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a Pollyannish perspective, but not completely. I feel like that if we put consumers first, there's always going to be space for us. We just have to think and practice differently. I mean, I think there's so much, many opportunities for us, but audiologists have to practice to their fullest scope of practice to the top of their license. And we have to focus on care we've gotten so caught up in that our whole identity and our whole financial model is around a hearing aid that I think we've lost sight about what makes us us. And I hopefully this will give us the opportunity to kind of kick it old school because the reality is before we could dispense hearing aids in 1978, there were private practice audiologists and Audiologist was a very viable profession before, and I think we can be that again. We just have to change and evolve. So going off of that, um, this idea of being more, you know, getting back to the roots of audiology and being very um, service oriented, not as much dependent on device sales. Um, I know in the conversation that we had on the podcast last time, you, you really went through a lot of this, but where, what are some of the obvious areas that you think that are a little bit um, being under uh, emphasized, I guess, uh, across the board in terms of, you know, ways that you could quickly reimburse yourself or compensate for the device sales? Is it um, a broad scope around, you know, the evaluation side and just all kinds of different tests that you can run. Um, where is the gap, I guess, in terms of like how you could compensate yourself in a way that maybe uh, isn't done to the full extent today? First thing is focus on the evidence and focus on the science because science matters. And so yeah. evidence-based delivery of tinnitus evaluation and management of auditory processing, evaluation and management, 
a vestibular evaluation and management. In, in integrating the evaluation and management and, and monitoring and follow-up care around implantable devices. Cognition, true science-based and screening of cognition. Pediatrics, there's still not enough, under, there's a lot of underserved communities for kids, families having to travel two and three hours in order to get the care, true care of an audiologist because they can't find anybody in their community that will see a kid. Um, communication functional needs assessments and truly looking at not just hearing but communication and function. Concierge care, hearing pre prevention, my goodness, we have failed so miserably at prevention. So hearing loss prevention and hearing conservation programs. So, I mean, there's a lot out there. We've just been so, that's all about this device that we just have, I, I would like to get to a point that we focus so much on prevention that we reduce the amount of people who need hearing. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good point. I, uh, yeah, I mean, cause I think that, you know, for me, I'm always trying to understand um, where, some of these opportunities are in terms of, you know, all of the different hard science that you can do and, um, you know, just different ways that, you know, you can get reimbursed either by the government or if you are going to do more of an unbundled model, like what did these tests look like? Cause I feel like the, the patient in the, in the consumer's mind, um, it's very straightforward in terms of the, their preconceived conception of this. It's, I have a hearing loss and I need to come in and I need to, you know, maybe there's a set of tests that I'm going to take. And then ultimately the end result is going to be, I'm going to get fit to a device. And it just seems like there isn't a lot of, of uh, a broad understanding of the full scope of, of those audiology services that can be incorporated. And I do feel like part of the, part of the challenge is that you're kind of combating this notion of what that experience is going to look like that has more or less developed over the course of 30, 40 years, however long um, that this notion of what that experience looks like, you know, you're, you're kind of going up against that. Well, then we need to show them what that experience was supposed to look like. Yeah. I mean, that we really need, and there's audiologists who always have, there's, there's practices out there that, uh, I mean, you're from St. Louis. Do you think Dr. Valente ever delivered anything but the gold standard a single time in his life? No. Nope. And so think about people like, like Mike and what, what he brought to the patient care and delivery model, that it was about evidence-based evaluation. And the hearing aid was a tool in the toolbox. And people who do AR, there's, there's practices, they're all over the country, that are there's the never let go of the AR. If we're thinking of John Greer of Cincinnati or Joe Montagna at Cornell, Cindy Compton Conley, people who really held on to those things, those practices are still out there. We just have to follow what the evidence says. And there wasn't a market tracker or a Kotchkin study, whoever show ever that didn't show the value of auditory rehabilitation. And so we lost sight. That's what audiology was founded upon. Carhartt was a rehabilitationist who was a speech pathologist who moved into this rehabilitating of, the, of, the, of hearing loss after World War II. That's what we need to get back to what makes us our care and really evaluate people. 
and that the outcome isn't always just a hearing aid or isn't a hearing aid at all because maybe they, they have that hidden hearing loss. Maybe they need an implant. Maybe they need an accessory. But to think around to be more comprehensive. That's what I'm excited about it because it's, I only see opportunities because the people who are doing it are, have had a very successful 2020 in the midst mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. I, um, I think this notion of a more comprehensive, um, you know, service offering is really compelling. And I think that's ultimately the most defensible way to stand apart from all of these emerging things that are coming about new technology, new delivery models, online hearing aids, you name it, whatever it might be. Um, I feel like these are the kinds of things that are deeply rooted in the education, the science and the expertise that are more or less really, really hard to quote unquote disrupt. Correct. I totally agree with you. I mean, I just see it as exciting. I think the technology, I think the self-assessment is exciting. I think the some of the hearables and some of the capacities some of these places have to look at beyond just ample just amplification what it can bring to your life and your lifestyle is exciting i think telehealth is super exciting and and teleaudiology one that is one of the silver linings of covid and it's really forced us to try to think of a different delivery model i think concierge and really being that patient-centric kind of delivery that's on the patient's terms. Imagine what you could do if you delivered someone's hearing aid in the home that you could look at their listening environments, you could look at their TV, you could look again beyond just what the device, what the hearing aid itself does. You could look at falls risks all while you're kind of there. They're just so, again, exciting avenues. We just have to get out of our nine to five booth-based manufacturer-driven box. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I can't remember who it was. I just had a conversation with recently where um, a lot of it was around the same idea where it's more like giving, um, you know, obviously you're on a you're you're on a cost basis. You have to make sure that you're breaking even and you're making, you know, a little bit of profit so that you're you're obviously a business, but um you know, I think this idea of having these patient uh, relationships that are really long lasting, and it really is a rehabilitative thing where you're more like a coach, I think, like you're helping to guide them through like, you know, here is the way that we're going to work together through navigating all these different things. And that whole thing, it changes the whole relationship from being something that's transactional. I come and I see you that one time you fit me with a hearing aid and then Maybe it's a bundled offering, so I get to come and do a couple follow-up things. Um, you know, I think we've kind of defined what that, you know, what you can bill for those services. But I feel like what isn't fully fleshed out is the more relationship patient journey for a long time, where it might be something where you're giving 10 times the amount of attention to that single person, but you're being compensated along the way because it's a much more relationship-driven type thing. And so you go from something maybe that is more relationship driven and you have your set patients in that category and you move away from the transactional one. And that seems like it's just really, um, 
it just seems like it's sustainable for the long term because I just think you just acquire more and more people. It's not as if it's like you treat this and then it goes away. A lot of these people are living with this for life. So clearly they're going to want to lean on you and defer to you for a lot of this to say like, you're the expert help. <laughs> and, and there's opportunities all, all along the way. Yeah. I, when I saw patients, I, I never saw it as a transaction. It was always about the relationship and about my role in their hearing journey or their balance journey, whatever, whatever, or both, whatever that is. And, um, and again, you can replace, you can be replaced in a transactional model. Yeah. Can't be replaced in a relationship driven model where maybe you refer the patient to Costco, maybe you, and you evaluate them and you refer them to Costco. Maybe you encourage them to get an implant and not get a hearing mm -hmm. aid, even if you lose them, but you're part of that, of their decision, their journey, and you're the expert then. And it's not about selling something because the selling part can be replaced. Right. And always the, the thing is, you know, what can we do that can't be done or can't be done well at a big box retailer or, or can't be done online? Yeah. And that's where we really need to focus. And again, lots of opportunities, but we have to get out of this, again, manufacturer-driven mindset. Device sales. Device sales. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree. I, well, I, I think that the point there, the really uh, important point that you just made is this idea that look at the things that you do that can be replaced and then think about what's much harder to replace. And every time I'm not an audiologist, I'm not a hearing professional. I'm more of just a third party that's looking at this and I'm trying to um, empathize with them and think like, what is it like in their shoes? And the thing that I always come back to is the hardest thing to disrupt is going to be your expertise and your, your hard earned education and your knowledge about all this. And so I feel as if the most surefire way to, be sustainable into the future is figure out a way to monetize that. And device sales currently, a lot of avenues haven't existed. That's changing. There's so many new ways that people can access these devices. And so in the old age, you know, you would be a one of a handful of options. And so a lot of people would just sort of choose you because that was one of the only things they had. And I feel like now, you know, in a world with tons of different options, you have a different value proposition. And it's actually a value proposition that I think is going to be really exciting to a lot of people because I think a lot of people kind of lament the idea that they are perceived as a salesperson as opposed to um, somebody that is in the business of helping people and treating them. And like you said, guiding them, it might not even be something where you're actually selling devices per se, you're more or less walking them through, here are your options and then let's meet again. And you know that that's going to be your patient for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And along the way, you're going to get compensated in some manner, but it's going to be way more tied to your expertise. And it's going to be tied to the value that you provide through that. And compassion. I mean, that that whole compassionate care, the Big box and online retailers, that's not part of their equation. Mm -hmm. That needs to be part of our equation. And people ask me all the time, what do you think the future of audiology is? I'm like, the practice <laughs> of audiology. <laughs> yeah. That's really my answer, is to practice audiology. And 
if we do that, we have, again, a very, very bright future. But if we let ourselves continue to go down this path of all about the sale of, of a bundled device and we're, that those types of practices are going to struggle. You're, yeah. you're really going to have to kind of differentiate yourself in the marketplace and really show what am I bringing to this person's journey? Mm-hmm. And again, and integrating new technologies and being open to, hey, you know what, patient A, uh, after doing a communication functional needs assessment, you would be really well suited with, with OTCB. Yeah, right. Like that's the best option for you. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing a, a Costco journey with my next door neighbor. And, um, and again, people are going to judge. I presented to her every numerable options. She had been in the Bose study. So she had worn Bose products before she, um, she looked at, I looked at Costco. She wanted something unbundled. I gave her a local unbundled audiology option. She could have been in another study that, um, that is being, that's happening here about comparing, um, provider driven delivery versus direct to consumer delivery. Um, she chose the Costco delivery and it's funny. We just went to her fourth visit and they told her that they're very close to turning the hearing aid into an earplug because she's turned it down so low. <laughs> and so the moral of the story is this is a person who was always the perfect OTC candidate. Yeah. She loves her bows here. Phones are just clunky to wear all the mm-hmm. time. And but she's still a perfect OTC candidate. That's what she was meant to be. And I think I've almost convinced her to return the Costco hearing aid. <laughs> and because I'm like, I don't understand why we still have these. Like this is, I think she needs an OTC. Yeah. Because that's what she needs. She has, she's the perfect example of she doesn't have a $3,000 problem. She has a $300 one. Yep. And yeah. that's what we need to be open to that everybody doesn't have a $3,000 problem and everybody doesn't need a top of the line hearing aid and everybody doesn't need, what does the person in front of you need? Right. And it might be AR and it might be TV ears and it, or it might (laughs) be an implant. It might be an OTC, but what is that? And that we need to monetize our expertise to get them there and not just monetize the sale of a device. Love it. Well said. I, completely agree with you. And I think you're right that, uh, this next year and really moving forward, I mean, you have to imagine the FDA is going to eventually finalize uh, the OTC guidelines. Um, so assuming that it is going to be next year, uh, it definitely will make an impact. And I think that, um, it's going to be really interesting to watch this all unfold because I think if nothing else, the market's going to continue to become saturated with more and more options, creating more complexity, generating more demand for expertise. So in a kind of a roundabout way, I think it actually drives the demand for audiology up. Um, and I think so too. also all the, all of the press and awareness around mm-hmm. the value of hearing is just going to drive it up. It's how we respond. Yes. It's how is how we're, we'll be perceived. Totally. So if we respond that, Hey, look, we welcome this. We want more access. Mm-hmm then we have great opportunities, but if we become responding like we have so far in a lot of instances with eh, sour grapes or against <laughs> it, you know, how is this going to play out? If you ever read any books from Clayton Christensen, who got hurt the most from fighting Uber, it was taxis. Right. Rather than embracing how could they have 
they could have how created could they, Uber. <laughs> how could they have integrated into that model? No, mm -hmm. they fought it and they were the big loser. Yes, completely agree. Um, well, Kim, this has been awesome. Always appreciate your perspective. Oh, it's nice to talk to you too. I love myself. Very, very interesting. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to having you on the podcast again next year. Great. Happy 2021, everyone. Happy 2021. Okay. Last but not least, we got Dr. Cliff Olson, Cliff AUD. Thanks for coming on the podcast this year. I had you on episode 43 uh, with Andy Bellavia, and we did a awesome discussion around, it was titled A Seminal Moment in Hearing Aid Technology. And I just uh, really look back on that conversation as it being um, a really good, you know, reference point of just like how, how dramatic the technology continues to advance. You obviously highlight a lot of this type of stuff on your YouTube channel. So I feel like you're as well-versed as anyone, but um, you know, aside from the pandemic, um, it, it definitely seems like 2020 and 2019 were really setting the stage for, I think, some explosive growth in all the different facets of, um, you know, the market in terms of the severity, you know, mild, mild market all the way up to the severe market. There's just a lot to be excited about. So, uh, you know, as we head into 2021, I wanted to get your take. Um, what are the things on your mind right now, uh, heading into the new year that get you excited, you know, as it relates to this industry? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. And, you know, 2020 was a, a weird year. I mean, I, <laughs> really been in this profession for a really long time. But, uh, you know, from from what I'm used to 2020, I think for anybody in any profession would have been weird uh, uh, with how everything kind of shook out. Um, I would say, though, and, and this is probably echoing a lot of other, you know, individuals you've talked to is that uh, currently here at the end of 2020, things have recovered to a large degree, almost to the point where, you know, it, it's, except for us, sanitizing to a, a really obnoxious degree inside of the clinic, <laughs> wearing face masks, you know, and face yeah. coverings inside of the clinic, uh, you wouldn't be able to tell that we are inside of a pandemic right now versus any, you know, versus, you know, any other time uh, that we're, we're practicing. So uh, it's just kind of crazy to see, you know, people adapt, you know, and it's not just audiology. I mean, every profession, every individual, they adapt to the circumstances that they're presented with. And they either, you either sink or swim, you either figure it out or you, you don't. And, and if you don't figure it out, then you, in, in, in relation to our profession, you go away. And, and that's just how it works out. And it's unfortunate to look at it that way, but it is a sink or swim uh, world that we live in. And I think by and large, a lot of individuals I've talked to, a lot of them uh, have been able to swim throughout this time period, which is exciting. And, you know, when it comes to, to 2021, I mean, I think that we're gonna, you know, be kind of back on track with what we thought we were gonna see in 2020. I know that when I did my, my uh, uh, New Year's video, so each year I try to do a New Year's video and, and say, what are the things that I think are going to come down the pipeline the next year? One of the things that I was talking about for 2020 was over-the-counter hearing aids. Really thought that was going to come in 2020. And, <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'm not sure that the pandemic specifically is what prevented that from happening. I mean, it almost seems uh, whether the pandemic was going on or not, that, that that was just kind of getting delayed. And the weirdest thing is, is that we have not really even been seeing any updates from that to any degree. 
Uh, so we really don't know where they're at with it. And my expectations for 2021 are kind of uh, tamp uh, uh, tampered down a little bit on the OTC route. I don't, I don't know for sure if we're going to see OTC come out and be available to consumers because you know once they announce those uh, the guidelines, then there's a six month comment period. And then, you know, after they make those adjustments, if they're going to make any adjustments, then it will become a category. And then you have to have manufacturers respond to that. So to be quite honest, I'm not sure even if it happened early in 2021, which I don't think it will, I don't think we'd see OTC coming out, but I, it is going to come out. It has to come out at some point, just <laughs> right? So... Uh, so that's one thing. And then, you know, another thing for me, and this is this is something that's just involving me, is that I have a new clinic that we are going to be opening up January 11th. I'm really excited about that. Uh, right now, I have more stress in my life associated with getting this clinic up and running than I did with COVID going on. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, this whole process of opening up a new location um, I think that it would be significantly easier uh, doing it another time now that I have an understanding of what actually goes into it. But we're just trying to, you know, finish up, you know, the finishing touches on the space. And then we have to get all of the, the patient base moved over and getting used to coming to a new location and all of that. So uh, that, that'll be exciting for early on here in 2021. Uh, maybe when we have this talk in a year from now, I can let you know <laughs> yeah, or not, because right now, uh, that is up in the air. Um, and, and, you know, as it, as it relates to technology going forward, I think, you know, we're not probably going to see any kind of hiccups in 2021. I mean, I still have manufacturers reaching out to me to review their products before they come to market. Um, and the techno technological advances are, um, they're present, they're still there. But the stuff that I review right now is stuff that was created and, and, and developed by engineers from several, year, several years ago. And right. so the question really will be, when we get into 2022, 2023, what potential slowdown would we have there because of what COVID did to potential like research and development and all of that? Yeah, that's a good point. I know that manufacturers, there was a, if you look at the sales at least in, in the United States, the sales of hearing aids took a massive dive yeah. for several months, right when COVID was kind of getting going and no one really knew what COVID was and were afraid to go out and get treatment. But uh, it's recovered a lot right now, but that little window likely led to a lot of layoffs at a lot of these, these companies that are developing tech. And I'm not just talking these companies developing tech in the major hearing aid market, I'm talking about all of these potential companies that were kind of gearing up to, to uh, create these OTC technologies. And so uh, did some of those kind of get pushed to the wayside? Did some of them go out of business? You know, even because they were expecting to be able to come to market with something in 2020, and that just didn't happen. So it'll be interesting to see not just in 2021, but really going forward, what's going to happen from a tech standpoint. But you know, as with anything, especially in the tech industry, I, I think tech, uh, when you look at a lot of the different uh, technology, uh, technology companies, they, they fared pretty well through this time period, you know, with, with being able to do things remotely. I mean, right now, uh, you are in uh, Missouri, I'm in Arizona, we're still able to do things like this. And this is through a tech platform that we're able to do this. So right. it is uh, incredibly resilient. So 
you know, hopefully we won't see any slowdown and, uh, and, and maybe these manufacturers will, will play a little bit of catch up as we go here into 2021 if they did miss out on R&D time. So, you know, I think that, that from a, a technological standpoint that way, that we'll probably recover and end up being okay and maybe see a little blip on, on the schedule for some of these companies with technology coming out, but not a massive one. Uh, the other thing that I would really, really, really like to see, and this kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the OTC guidelines, is I think we need to have some kind of legal intervention with a lot of these amplifier companies that are out there that are making false claims about their products and, and the capabilities of their products. Um, the attorney general in Arizona had issued a press release talking about uh, the dangers uh, and the risks uh, from these, these companies who are selling these products online to consumers. And the individuals who are buying them are thinking that they are buying legitimate hearing aids, uh, and they're not. They're buying these products that are cheap knockoff products that they're being touted as being as good or better than hearing aids sold by some of the major manufacturers out there. And they are nowhere even near the... Uh, being able to have a conversation of being in the in the same conversation as some of these hearing aid manufacturer products. So, um, and the thing is, the thing that I don't want to have happen is I don't want consumers to be tricked by these companies and buying this technology that is that is technology from so many years ago. I probably wasn't even alive <laughs> uh, of when this stuff was developed, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's just I, I think that something needs to happen on a bigger scale to get rid of a lot of these companies that are out there because they are popping up everywhere. Right. Point where if you're trying to seek out legitimate information and legitimate technology online that you can't even find it without stumbling across a million of these other companies that are just peddling their garbage. Right. And, and that's a disservice to consumers. Now, I will, I will say this. There are a lot of individuals who will listen to my statement that I just made and say, well, Cliff, of course you don't want us to purchase those types of products because you sell the good stuff in your clinic. Or <laughs> you know, it, I, I have sponsors in the industry that are from the major manufacturers, right? So I, I, from a financial perspective, they look at me and say, well, no kidding, you're recommending that we stay away from those products because that's bad for, for Dr. Cliff financially. And, you know, and I can see their justification on that. But at the end of the day, all you, all you have to do is, is order one of those products online. And, and I, I suggest you don't, but if you want to, you'd tell right away that, that the technology that's going into a lot of these online hearing aid companies is nowhere even near uh, as good as, as some of the major technologies out there. So until something happens from a legal standpoint, a lot of these uh, companies that are selling these cheap amplifiers online are going to trick consumers and then consumers are going to think that hearing treatment doesn't work for them. And it is ultimately going to increase the pandemic that we have on our hand, but it's not the, uh, not the COVID pandemic. It's the, the pandemic that we have with hearing loss that's that been going untreated for years. Yeah, no, I think that was all really well said. Um, you said a couple things there that really stood out in my mind. Um, you know, I think that this whole notion of uh, sink or swim, you know, this idea that um, this is a, a real defining moment, I think, for providers in general to 
differentiate themselves on the basis of value. Um, you know, one of the biggest themes right now that's happening is that there are new access points. And the unfortunate um, byproduct of that is that there are a lot of people are now being exposed to shoddy devices, you know, these things that appear to be something that they're not. And, uh, and so we're going to have to really grapple with that as an industry. And I do think that there's an element of regulation and that there needs to be an intervention to some extent. Um, but I think that there's a huge onus on this whole idea of the, the professionals. I think this is part of the opportunity is reclaiming, all of this into the idea that we are the experts as it relates to this whole type of offering. And that's, I think, where a lot of the value lies is that it's unfortunate that I think some people are going to get burned by, you know, thinking that they're buying something that is uh, marketed in a way that it isn't, that actually doesn't perform that way. But I do think that that it sort of ties into this overarching message, which is that, you know, you can't be passive anymore. You can't just think that people are going to come to you because they're being bombarded with things online every day, Instagram, Facebook, all these highly targeted um, marketing channels that, you know, they have these very highly sophisticated methods of targeting you. Um, and so I think that the most effective way to combat it is to do things like what you're doing. I think you, you do a really good job of um, educating the patient on, you know, here is what's going on. And I actually, uh, I spoke with Deanne Rudden, um, who's part of this episode, and, and she said, you know, one of the things that she's most excited about is that there are just like more and more professionals that are sort of getting into your territory of um, educating the patient, you know, starting YouTube channels, um, starting, you know, all of these different ways in which you can communicate this. And I think this idea of being able to really position yourself as like, look, this market's only going to get more complex. There's only going to be more options available to you. My job is to help to guide you through that. And I think that's actually a, a really exciting proposition because that in itself sort of changes the notion between being somebody that's more, you know, a business model that's very tied to the device itself to something that's more oriented around the service. And the idea of we're going to, you know, maybe to start with, you are, at, you know, in the, the midst of the early onsets of this and you don't warrant a full hearing aid and maybe I don't even get compensated on the device, but you're hiring me more or less to help to navigate you through this to say, let's start you off with this entry level OTC type device or a, a hearable and then you establish that relationship and you guide them over time into, you know, like whatever types of solutions meet their needs as time goes on. So uh, I, I fully agree with you. And, and I really don't know um, if, you know, if, if, if the whole way that OTC has been handled has shown me anything, it's that this isn't a very high priority within the government and that I'm not sure if we should just be waiting that, you know, we need some sort of government intervention. I think the industry has to take it upon itself to combat this, you know, using every tool that we have available to us. And one of the most obvious tools, in my opinion, is through the educational piece and making sure that the industry as a whole, um, everybody is going to bat around this idea of like, this is our territory. The, these are the things that we know the most about. And that 
I just, again, I think that that allows for a really differentiated position in the market because there's going to be more and more types of devices that are sold online, um, more ways that you can get access to these things, but the real differentiating value for somebody to come see you as opposed to just trying to do it yourself online is that they get your expert opinion and they get all of that knowledge and hard-earned expertise that you've acquired become, you know, because you're, you're an audiologist and um, so that's what actually gets me excited about this. But it, again, going full circle, that's the whole thing around the sink or swim notion is that it's not as if that people are just going to know this about you. I mean, the, ma- the vast majority of people don't even know what an audiologist is. So you're kind of fighting this uphill battle. And I think that if you can, if you can really put yourself out there and put forth that effort, um, you're going to really stand apart from every other type of offering in the market because everything else is very transactional. It's, it's a race to a bottom, you know, it's just like, here's the cheapest price available for you for this thing. And, uh, and that's where you get into this territory where it starts to become a snake oil type thing where you have to avoid, am I buying something that is perceived to be something that is just truly not. You know, my biggest challenge when I first started my channel was trying to be able to communicate what value do I actually provide to the end user? I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't developing the technology, you know, manufacturing the technology. I was dispensing it in a way to optimize the performance of that technology for that individual and what their specific wants and needs are. And that is what led me to identify, okay, so what are the tangible things that I actually bring to the table? And what I identified was, is that, yeah, I I feel like I'm a personable guy, but it's going to pay me money just to be nice to them. So what else do I do? Well, I follow best practices, right? Best practices are the things that are proven by research to improve the, the value for the end user, right? When you're using technology to treat them. And so I started uh, hammering home these tangible aspects, which are best practices. And, and it's really, it, it's come a long way since I started the channel. And you know, the exciting thing about that is, is that now I'm starting to see, you know, like you said, other providers are getting out there and starting to uh, share this message of like why audiologic care is important, right? Not just the devices, but the care that you receive with that is important. But now I'm starting to see people talk about and, and blog about best practices. And you never, three, three, four, or five years ago and before that, you never would have heard of anybody talking about best practices or even measurement. And now consumers, like, that's what they're talking about. And so providers are starting to, like, you know what? Maybe this is a thing. Maybe best practices are actually the thing that make us important. And, and I truly believe that. So, you know, a, a, if in 2021, if another thousand providers started to adopt and to strictly adhere to best practices, that in and of itself is going to create more value in what they do and a tangible value because no longer are you just saying on your website, oh, you know, we we join you, you you know, you become part of the family with us and all of that, and it's all a bunch of just uh, like it's not tangible for a consumer. You go to every single website and they say, oh, well, we work with the best technology and we we treat you like family. And it's like, okay, but like, what do you really do to provide me with additional value? And so if providers can start following best practices, and I think that they will, because the more that we talk about them, the more that consumers are going to be like, you know what, I want to go to a place that follows best practices. 
And, you know, we've seen it happen to some degree in 2020, even in, in 2019, where consumers on these online forums were saying, hey, my provider doesn't do real ear measurements. So I actually decided to go somewhere else that does. And so that word's getting out there. And this, you know, five years from now, and I know we're talking about what am I excited about in 2021, but I think in five years from now, if you do not follow best practices, you are going to be one of those providers who sinks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you, Cliff. And I think you're right. I think that there is, um, I think it's become more apparent than ever that in a world where, you know, there's multiple access points to all this technology, you have to differentiate on the basis of service. And therefore, you have to abide by best practices. You have to differentiate as much as you possibly can um, through a lot of these different things that people like you are doing. So um, I really appreciate that. And I think you're right. Um, so thank you for joining me on the podcast this year. Thanks for uh, joining me here for the end of the year. I definitely want to speak with you again in 2021 and into the future to just continue to get a, uh, you know, a feel for what you're thinking about how everything's kind of evolving in this industry. Yeah, it sounds good, Dave. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.